Welcome back to the Weighing In Podcast presented by Track Wrestling. I'm your host, Alex Steen. This is episode number 117. On the line, as always, David Mirakatani. David, how are you? Going good, brother. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. Lots of good wrestling around the country this weekend. All sorts of styles. Um, good action over in Russia. It's just a great time of year to be a wrestling fan. Love this time of year. It is. And, you know, I'm involved with a lot of high school kids. And, you know, here in Missouri, the the district tournament is the weekend of February 9th. Um, and then the next one is the state is February 16th. So, you know, I mean, it's literally right around the corner. I was in Kansas City this weekend, stuck my head on, stuck my head in on Liberty High School, which is, I think, ranked like 12th or 13th in the country. You know, they got some hammers over there. Jeremiah Reno, Graydon Penner, two of the best kids in the country, and then a ton of freshmen that are really good. And then, obviously, you know, all the other schools, the Park Hills, the CBCs, those are just in class four. But it's just a bunch of it, – it, this is the time of the year where if you're a coach, it, it's you know, there's not a lot of peace. You're just nervous and kind of hoping everybody stays healthy and that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. High school, you know, I kind of am out of the loop on high school, but this is the time of year where you're getting to the postseason, getting to the business end of the year for a lot of different places. Um you know, for college, it's kind of the stretch run, a little bit of the dog days, and uh, but high school kids are peaking right now, getting ready to go after it. So good luck to all of you out there. Uh, hope you're listening and hope you do well. Yeah, for sure. Amen to that. Uh, I think so. we'll get into the international results a little bit before we get into the rest of it. Um, had the Dave Schultz this weekend, had the Yarigan over in Russia. Uh, it was pretty... It, I don't know how the schedule worked out for that exactly why they were on the same weekend. So it made for kind of an odd dynamic, um, but good competition at both. Um, our medalists at the Uregan, which as a reminder is a UWW ranking series event. So um, people that placed will get points towards their seat at the world championship. Uh, we had Thomas Gilman and Alex Deeringer both take bronze on the men's side. Uh, we had Victoria Anthony with a bronze on the women's side, and we had two champions on the women's side, Sarah Hildebrandt and Tamira Mensah-Stock. And uh, Tamira Mensah-Stock won for the third year in a row. Uh, last year when she won it for the second time and won back-to-back, she was the first American to ever do that. Now she's the first to ever win three of any in any years, and it's back-to-back-to-back. So awesome job by her. And of course, Sarah Hildebrandt comes off signing the deal with Rudis and immediately wins gold at the Oregon. So great time to be her right <laughs> yeah i think the tamara Menta stock thing hopefully gets more play than it has because like you said three years in a row like that i mean that's that's not rare air that's solo air so i mean I, I hopefully we're past the point like well it's girls and everybody just understands it's wrestling is wrestling and she's a great wrestler so uh what she's doing is is uniquely amazing and then sarah hildebrandt sort of had the uh the opposite of the you know the rudest jinx that seems to kind of hit kyle snyder since since he came on so you know uh good for her and you know i know we'll get to the to the to the men's side here in a minute i actually met vicky anthony a couple months ago and she could not be a nicer human being and she had some dirty inside trips over there so it's kind of cool to see her doing really well too yeah, I've interviewed her before, and you're spot on with that, and Sarah Hildebrand as well. And uh, yeah, and when you talk about Tamira Mensa stock, it, she's a great story in the first place. And I think we've all been kind of waiting for her to break out. She finally got a world medal this last year, and uh, you know she's got that you know, world championship level to her. Uh, so it's good to see her winning gold. She beat a couple time cadet world champion from uh, Japan, and you know some some people that are used to men's freestyle will say, well, she's just a cadet world champion. But you know we've seen. The cadet world champions, especially from Japan on the women's side, go right in and have senior level success. So that's a nice win. And Hildebrandt had two come from behind wins against Russians in the semis and the finals. So a lot of good action. And uh, you know, you mentioned Snyder. Obviously, we'll we'll transition into that a little bit here. Uh, one theme I noticed from the matches I watched. I didn't get to watch every single match because there's a lot going on this weekend. But uh, the matches I watched. The U.S. was very aggressive, you know, getting to a leg early, getting points um, in most cases. But Snyder, unfortunately, got to a leg early, got up on his on the feet in his opening match against Megamedov from Russia and ended up giving up a four point move. U.S. corner challenged. 
did not get overturned, so it was 5-0 deficit right off the bat. Uh, came all the way back to make it 5-5 and then almost pushed Megamedov out at the very end. Um, but the Russian turned the tables and got a step out of his own for 6-5 wins. So it was kind of one of those matches we've seen before from Snyder where he falls behind early. Uh, we've seen it uh, a couple of times. Usually he comes back and gets the win. This time it just didn't work out. Yeah, I, I mean, it's obviously easy to say this going second, but it seemed like an odd challenge, right? Like it was, you know, it, it seemed like it was a four-play move and you're in Russia. You're like, you're not going to probably get that call. Like it, it just seemed like a, an odd odd challenge. But, uh, you know, we, we've talked about this when Snyder wins, that he doesn't seem overly concerned about losing matches. And this will segue into some of the other stuff that's gone on this week. But the matches that don't matter. And, you know, he's concentrating on world championships and Olympic titles. And, you know, you know, sort of like, you know, the state championship or the national championship, depending on what level you're at. And, you know, you and I talked, I mean, we can get into that part later, but yeah. I, so he's not, you know, I don't, it's the Olympic trials are going to be super fascinating to me, especially if Jaden Cox goes up, you know, because the styles are completely different. They were huge high school rivals and wrestled each other all the time. And it was always a one point match. You know, and the style contrasts are 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 really really strong. So, uh, I I know he'll study that. I know he'll you know he'll figure out what he what he needs to do to make those adjustments. But you know, Snyder's becoming like Burroughs, like the most you know the most watched guy in the world, the most technique broken down in the world. And and if he has a weakness, people are going to find it because you know he's the guy to beat. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting challenge that you mentioned that you know especially knowing that Snyder's pace is high and you figure he's going to get points. Do you really want to take that chance to give an extra point um, to your opponent? I think in a lot of situations you feel like a four point move is enough that, you know, your opponent can just shut down and stall you out. But I don't think Snyder necessarily suffers that um, against most opponents. So I don't know about the challenge, but, you know, you're exactly right. You know, Snyder said many times that it's about the process and it's not about the, you know, the outcome. It's about getting better and learning and, you know, just constantly improving. And obviously his results speak for themselves. You know, he's one of the best wrestlers in history already, and he's got a long way to go, hopefully. So you mentioned the Olympic trials. We won't get into that yet, but it's just, you know, the, Team USA is loaded right now, and you know, got guys like Deirdre going over there and getting third. And I believe he lost to the guy that um, beat Dake last year at that tournament, and then Dake beat him at the World Championships. He's the only guy to beat Dake at seventy nine kilos. So, you know, that's that's the kind of level uh, we're at right now. So that's pretty cool. So even though Snyder didn't get pulled back in and ends up going going down as a ninth place finish, you know, I'm not worried about him right now, and I don't think anyone else should be. Uh, it's just unfortunate that he just couldn't pull that one out. So um, moving over to the Schultz. It, unfortunately, Jordan Oliver um, had some travel issues, didn't get to be there. So our 70 kilo main event between him and Molinaro didn't materialize. Uh, Molinaro ended up winning that weight class, um, had a great match, uh, ended up nine to eight against David Carr in the semifinals, which I watched that match. That was, it was a, Tremendous clash of styles. Uh, you know, Molinaro has made a living, especially in his international run the last few years, at being a great hand fighter, just ticks guys off because they can't get through him. You know, they can't deal with his <laughs> physicality. Well, Carr pretty much said, okay, fine, I'll just work from space and was having some success. But uh, Frank has to lead the world in four-point moves um, as a percentage of scoring. And he got one and it was enough to beat the youngster. So uh, he just... It's amazing when he needs one. Like that's hard to do at the senior level, and when he needs one, he seems to get four point moves. So he got one in the semis, one and ended up winning the finals. Um, the other notable result for me was Aaron Brooks winning, uh, beating Nate Jackson in the finals. So, uh, is there anything else you wanted to discuss? No, I think the Aaron Brooks thing is interesting, especially because. If you look at Penn State right now and look at who they're bringing back and who you feel really strongly about, it's the first time that they might be sort of vulnerable. You know, like if you go, well, they, you know, you're not sure they would necessarily All-American it next year 
at 25, 33, 49, or 57. And, you know, you obviously like Nick Lee and, and Vincenzo and then Hall and whether or not Rashid's at 84 or 97, but it feels like maybe Rashid goes back to 97 and this is where Aaron Brooks comes in. He's going to be important because if you look at some of the lineups next year, like especially Iowa and Oklahoma State, and I know Arizona State is redshirting everybody they can to try to load up for next year. This is, I think, the, the first time where like Penn State's not going to be like a 40-point favor coming into the season. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, we'll get to it in a minute about, you know, they have some injury concerns as well. Yeah, it's it'll be interesting. Yeah, Brooks looks great, um, and I think we all knew that, but he just, every time out, it seems like he just reinforces that he's going to be the man right away. Um, you know, whether that's national champion or third or fourth, it, it's hard to say um, exactly where he stacks up. But, you know, beating Nate Jackson, who was an All-American, that's a quality win, uh, of course. And so you have to you have to say, I think you're exactly right. I think it's he's important to their plans next year. And, um, you know, they develop people in that room. So we'll see where they all are by the end of this year. And then, of course, by the end of next year. But he's another nice piece to have uh, for the Nittany Lions, which they're getting used to, right? Yeah, they, they found these guys, right, that like, I mean, everybody gets, not everybody, but a lot of schools get the blue chippers, and they seem to do a really good job with their blue chippers of not only them succeeding, but be, becoming bonus point machines. So, and he seems like he's sort of the next guy in that progression. So it'll be interesting to see, but I, I think he is going to be critical to to what happens for them. Yeah, and speaking of Penn State, they have a duel with Michigan coming up this week. Um, last week. Michigan beat Ohio State, which shook up the coaches' poll rankings a little bit. Um, it was pretty much as we expected it to go last week when we picked that um, duel. It came down to the 157-pound match between Keyshawn Hayes and Alec Pantaleo. Pantaleo won, and Michigan won the duel, and that was pretty much it. But there were some results during the duel that were a little more lopsided than I expected. Didn't you think so, David? 33-41, <laughs> maybe? <laughs> Yeah. yeah. You know, I think he was tired of us. And, and I said it, I was guilty of it. And several other people said it. And it wasn't, you know, we all know how good he is. But, you know, he just hadn't wrestled anybody this year because of how the schedule fell right. and because right. of Vegas. And, you know, he was a little banged up. So, you know, several of us mentioned, you know, yeah, he's number one, but he hasn't wrestled any of those other top guys as they all knock each other off. Well, he finally got his hands on the top guy against Luke Fletcher, who beat him last year once. Um, and Michich won 14 to 1, and it was total domination from the beginning. So that was an impressive statement. I think he just served notice to the rest of the country that he's the man to beat at that weight class. Um, and then Joey McKinnon, 141, when he beat Kanan Store 18 to 3, and that match was out of hand early. Uh, McKinnon looks to me, he's always been a great wrestler. You know, we've always, we always knew him. Um, as soon as he got to college, we'd seen him in high school. You know, he was always going to be a national title contender. But for the longest time, he seemed happy to win three to two or five to three in a lot of these big matches. And at he's something's changed with him. He looks more focused, more driven, and more willing to open up. He's just destroying people this year, and he's really impressive um, as he goes for that national title that has eluded him so far. That was really impressive to me. I mean, Kanan Store, yeah, okay, he hasn't you know gotten to the postseason yet because of some circumstances, and maybe he's a year or two away. But that was. No, I don't think anybody saw that being an 18 to 3 match. No, I think you and I talk a lot, but I don't think we've talked about this. But in my mind, coming into the season, Yanni was on his own level. McKenna was on level two. Ironman was on level three just because he doesn't really match up very well with McKenna. And then there's other guys on level, you know, four or whatever. It feels like Joey McKenna has jumped up to the level with Yanni where like you just can't go well Yanni's gonna win. Like it's gonna be a really hard match and McKenna could win and McKenna's had good health this year and Yanni is coming back. So yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, and uh for the record you did pick Keyshawn or you did pick Pantaleo and I did pick Keyshawn. So um this is probably a good time for me to go ahead and do the reads this week. We might as well just get them both out of the way before we get any deeper. What do you think? All right, sounds good. So 
Our two sponsors, first one's are FantasyGrade.com and the Fantasy Wrestling National Championships. If you think you know more about wrestling than your friends from around the country, prove it. From the online contest set up as a salary cap event to the live auction contest being held at the Yard Restaurant in Pittsburgh the Wednesday night before the NCAA Wrestling National Tournament, FantasyGrade.com has you covered. Prove you know more about wrestling than your friends and people from around the country by going to FantasyGrade.com and signing up for the live contest, which features over $300 of guaranteed participation prizes, the online contest, or both. Rules and instructions are at fantasygrade.com. Sign up today and prove you're the smartest wrestling fan in the country. And as we do rankings, I think about how all that stuff, you know, factors into that. Our other sponsors, which I love, Matt and Paul Gilbert from Resolite, then Resolite is your one source for both classic and lightweight mats from their zip mat, the first and only tape-free mat to offer a waterproof interlocking connection system to Resolite's exclusive DigiPrint mat. The only fully customizable mat featuring unlimited graphics that brings unrivaled school branding to your new lightweight mat. Visit Resolite.com for all your wrestling mat needs. Resolite, the mat company. Yeah, and if you've been to Track Wrestling lately on the website, um, you might see a pop-up ad from Resolite. Check out the stuff they're doing uh, when they cut to the computer with their designing their mat and it's just some of the stuff that they're capable of doing with these mats now is just it's mind-blowing it's amazing stuff um, they can pretty much put whatever you want on a mat as far as graphics go and some of the stuff in that video is pretty impressive so check that out uh, glad to have them on board as a sponsor we'll go over to 125 pounds to start off uh, some interesting results here we'll talk about um, the non-result that a lot of people are talking about right now, um, but we'll get to that later. Uh, first, Luke Werner of Lockhaven beat Brandon Courtney by fall um, as Lockhaven upset Arizona State 23-14. to That was a big one. Um, still no Milhoff for Arizona State right now. Uh, Courtney's a pretty good young you know, redshirt freshman, but uh, that was surprising to see him get pinned there. Um, also, another surprising pin, Jay Schwarm of Northern Iowa pinned Rico Montoya of Northern Colorado in 4-10. You know, Schwarm's kind of dangerous. We've seen that before from him, and he's obviously been in the rankings. So not a huge surprise, but a nice win for him nonetheless. And then, of course, uh, Spencer Lee was supposed to wrestle Sebastian Rivera as Iowa rest battled Northwestern. Uh, that match did not happen. Spencer Lee sat out. Uh, Rivera ended up beating the backup. Uh, so where do you want to go first? Uh, you want to talk about the results? Well, the the Schwarm Montoya result was really the only thing that would affect the rankings at all. So, and the body of work we didn't we didn't make any changes this week, but it'll probably be something that, as we look at it more next week, we might. But I mean, let's just talk about the Spencer Lee Rivera thing. I mean, you know, I I think you kind of know where I stand on this. So I'll start. You know, I'll ask you first. Like, what do you think? You know, is it a big big deal, little deal, no deal? Um, I think it's a little deal. Uh, you know, it's it's not good for any sport when you have two of the best scheduled to rest, you know compete against each other and it doesn't happen. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of reasons why it might not happen, um, especially in this sport. Injuries, illness, there's all sorts of reasons. Now, um, in this case, we know that Spencer Lee hasn't been right for a while. Um, I don't want to speculate as to why. There's some rumors floating around, but I don't really need to get into that. Um, so there's something not quite right with Lee. He's not 100%. And you know, people will say, well, nobody's 100% this time of year. And that's fine. Um, but I think the on-the-map product speaks for itself. This is not the Spencer Lee we saw last year. This is not the Spencer Lee we've seen when he's close to healthy. Um, so there's that. But, you know, and he did wrestle Friday night against Illinois. Uh, so I can understand people being annoyed by the fact that he sat out the Northwestern duel on Sunday. But at the end of the day, you know, I, I think what we're really upset about is that we didn't get to see him wrestle. You know, it's, that's, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see that, but it's not, you know, we're going to get to see it at the Big Ten tournament. We'll probably get to see it at the NCAA tournament. I would have liked to see it a fourth time this season, but for me, it's it's a little deal. There's still tons of action out there. There's a lot of wrestling to watch, and it's unfortunate, but I understand it. 
I think the people that are making a big deal about this have never coached. I think if you've ever coached, if you've, especially in college when you've recruited guys, when you sit in a living room and you say, I'm going to do what's best for your son or, you know, now your daughter, but in this case, son, if he's not right, you don't wrestle him. And this is the thing. College wrestling is like college basketball. And I mean that as opposed to college football. College football, every game matters. You got to make in that final four to make the playoff to be the national champion. College basketball, everybody plays everybody. 68 teams get in. I think Kansas played Kentucky. I saw some UK versus KU hashtag. I don't even know who won. And it was eight versus nine. And then it's only going to affect like who's the two or three seed in the tournament. Nobody wants to say this out loud. Duels don't matter. Duels just don't matter. Like Ohio State lost to Michigan and Ohio State is still ranked above Michigan in tournament rankings, which is all anybody remembers. And no one's going to remember two years from now if Sebastian Rivera beats Spencer Lee in Midlands or not, unless Sebastian Rivera beats him at Nationals. And it'll be the tagline, like, not only did he beat him at Nationals, he also beat him at Midlands. But if Spencer Lee wins Nationals, no one's going to care. So it's just a selfish perspective where we want to see these matches and they're like, you know, like for us to try to act like we're going to hold people's feet to the fire and they owe us an explanation. If you've ever coached and you've ever been in a room, sometimes guys aren't right. And their kids are, I don't know. I actually should say this for the record. I interviewed Ryan Morningstar Monday. It'll be on Match Chat. It should be out tomorrow. I, and he, he goes, aren't you curious about Spencer? I go, I'd like to know, but I don't need to know. I'm only asking because I'm being nosy. Plus, whatever you tell me probably isn't 100% true because you need to protect your guy. And he started laughing. He goes, you've coached. I go, yeah. So don't tell me because I'm not even sure I'd believe it anyway. So this is – people need to understand this. Your job is to be loyal to your guy or your, your athlete, whether it's a guy or a girl, but in this case, a guy. It's not to keep – people on websites happy or unhappy about who or who didn't wrestle. And if your son or daughter was that kid, that's how you'd want them to act. So that coaching staff made the decision based on what they think is best for that young man. And I certainly think that they've got enough credibility that they're not ducking or trying to protect a seed, which in this case would be impossible anyway, because they're seated below him. I think it's so much ado about nothing just based on what we want to see selfishly. Yeah. And I think it's, it's fair to talk about, you know, the product on the mat and attracting fans and keeping fans and, you know, paying customers and all that. I'm sure there were people that were at the Northwestern Iowa duel in anticipation of this match. I get that. But like you said, it's a track record thing, you know, if you're doing this kind of thing all the time with guys who, you know, look perfectly healthy, okay, it's fair to question. But we know that's not the case with Spencer Lee. And after Caleb Young really hard, struggled hard on Friday night, I wouldn't be surprised to hear he was battling an injury or sick a little bit. And that's why he didn't go against Deacon. So, you know, we're not in the room. I understand the frustration, um, but to go much beyond that can't get on board so i think you put it pretty well we'll move on to 133 uh we talked about the michich pletcher match a little bit but obviously uh michich consolidates the number one ranking um with a resounding victory 14 to 1 ben thornton beat roman bravo young 7 to 3 uh rby went for that backflip again um early on and tweaked his knee a little bit, continued to wrestle in that match, did not injury default, uh, but looked a little gimpy, and then did not wrestle Sunday against Indiana, so keep an eye on that. Uh, this is a long one, so settle in. Uh, Paul Glenn beat Dylan Duncan 3-1 to one in sudden victory one. That's, you know, that's a case of an Iowa backup stepping in and getting a ranked win, so obviously they have some depth. Corbin Myers beat Mickey Phillippe of Pitt 5-3, to three and also beat Brandon Patesel of Lehigh 4-1, to one, so a very nice weekend for the Hokie. Sean Nickel of CSU Bakersfield beat Matt Schmidt two to one. Uh, Dayton Fix beat Austin Gomez five to four in a very entertaining match where Gomez had Fix's foot 
in the air at the very end as the buzzer sounded, just could not quite corral the second leg. And uh, something else worth watching, Tariq Wilson took the forfeit against Duke, uh, so he may be close to coming back. It's hard to say exactly because Duke's been forfeiting 133. They don't really have a guy there, so uh, hard to say exactly what that means, but it looks like Wilson may be back in the fold sooner rather than later. What do you think, David? Well, we know Tariq's making weight, you know what I mean? And he's right. a tall <laughs> Right. That's the one thing we can definitely get from the tea leaves, right? Uh, I mean, to me, it feels like this has just become more of a snow globe, right? Like, Fix got moved back up to two. DeSanto got moved to three based on having only one loss. You know, Misik, no losses. Fix and DeSanto, one loss. Suriano, Philippi, and Pletcher, two losses. You know, I mean, it's... I think this is a complete seeding, you know, how this weight shakes out is going to be a lot of matchup driven stuff. Like it obviously doesn't look like DeSanto would wrestle Misik in the quarterfinals, but if he did, I think that's a bad matchup for DeSanto, but like maybe DeSanto has problems with Luke Pletcher at the big tens. And right now that's the three, six matchup, you know, conversely, maybe Mickey Phillippe can be the one guy to ride Suriano for a long time. And then that's the four or five matchup. So you know, Dayton Fix against Tariq is fascinating to me because I've I've always thought Fix is short for the weight. And we saw Tariq give a lot of guys problems last year with his length. So I just think that this is going to be completely matchup driven. And, you know, in the big tens alone in the top eight, you got Misik one, DeSanto three, Suriano four, Fletcher six. So four of the top six and Lezak at nine. So I mean, if, if those guys don't finish in that order, that's going to be interesting. Right now, we got Thornton ahead of RBY. Obviously, that could change. Lots of crazy results, you know, and I, I, I think I called Andy. I said it feels weird having DeSanto at three, and he goes, it can't feel any weirder than having Mickey Phillippe at two a week ago. So I guess that's kind of, kind of a good point, too. I do think the Dylan-Duncan match is, is bad, and I, it feels like, like Barone had a good win at 57, but it feels like Illinois is not wrestling well right now. Like Mikey Carr barely won. And, you know, he, and like we said, Duncan lost. It, it's not a good look right now what's going on over there. Yeah. And it's interesting because, you know, Myers winning over Philippi, that's a conference matchup, ACC. And of course, Tariq Wilson's in the ACC. So that's going to be a tough match, you know, a tough race to see who the conference champion is. Obviously you detailed the big 10. You've got both Dayton Fix and Austin Gomez in the big 12. And remember when it comes down to seeding, especially when you've got a situation like this, where everybody's kind of beating everybody up, conference champions go a long way uh, because they get a bump against everyone who's not a conference champion uh, from a seeding perspective. So That'll be interesting to watch. Uh, that's going to be some great tournaments. And, of course, we've got a few more weeks um, of upsets. 133 continues to be the uh, most commented on weight class this year in this podcast by, by a landslide. And it probably will continue to be so <laughs> as we yeah. go down the road. Yeah. For sure. Moving up to 141, we already hit on the McKenna store match. 18-3, Joey McKenna. Uh, Tristan Moran and Mitch McKee battled into sudden victory one, had a fantastic scramble, and Moran ended up coming out on top, pinning McKee. What was that? No, I just said it was. Go ahead. Sorry. It was. It was. It was fantastic. Uh, check that out. And then Ian Parker had a very nice weekend. He beat Dom Demas 4-3. Um, and in overtime, and then he went and beat Cade Brock 6-3. to three. Uh, just more good wins for Parker. He's wrestling really tough and more concerned for Cade Brock as he just continues to struggle. Um, what do you, what'd you make of all this, David? Well, McKenna, we talked about, so you don't need to repeat that. Moran is one of those guys. He almost reminds me like a poor man's Ben Askren, which is interesting because Ben's up there. Like he's never out of it. He scored all of his points from the bottom or off Mitch McKee's attacks. So you know, he got like a six-pointer on the bottom to get it to overtime, and then McKee was in. And not only did he, you know, get the takedown, but he settled in and got the fall. Uh, and Cade just, you know, I mean, Cade's one of the guys this year that's probably fallen the most. Like, I had him ranked lower than everybody else, and I've even looked at everybody else's rankings this week, but I have to think that like, he has to fall a few more spots after losing to Parker. 
So, I mean, he's lost to Parker. He's lost to Demas. He's lost to McKee. And right now I have those guys 11, 12, and 13. So, I mean, he has three losses to guys outside of the top eight, you know, which is, which is tough, you know, and then he's, you know, he's still going to have Albert in the big 12s and he's still got a dual match with Jay Nyerman. So, it's a weird season for him. I don't, you know, you and me have talked about whether or not he's really a legit 41 and moving up, whether or not that was good for him, especially on bottom. So, you know, I love Kate. I've, I've got a chance to talk to him and hang out with him. He's an awesome kid. I hope he can figure it out. But right now, it's, it's not been the best season for him. Yeah, and there was about a, a five-minute period. Um, I went to the duel on Sunday between Oklahoma State and Iowa State. Uh, it was about a five-minute period there at 149 where you kind of wondered if Cade Brock was going to lose his starting spot. Um, you know, it's all speculation at this point, but Boo Wallen made his return at 149 pounds coming off an injury. He was looking pretty good um, against Jarrett Deegan, had several takedowns, uh, wearing the big shoulder harness, trying to keep his shoulder in place. Unfortunately, in a late scramble, he got that arm extended trying to stop Deegan from going around behind him and re-injured it. So he looks like he will be out for the rest of the season. Um, some post-match quotes from John Smith indicated that that was likely the case. Um, so very unfortunate for him. You know, I've dislocated my shoulder four times, so I, I know what he's going through, and it's just it's really hard to deal with. Um, that was too bad to see. So it's it's likely Oklahoma State will go with Caden Gefeller at 149 the rest of the way, and Cade Brock will be the 141. Um, other results at 149, Mitch Feinsilver beat Justin Oliver 10 to nothing, which didn't change the rankings, but I thought that margin was something of note. Yes. Uh, and then Christian Monserrat of West Virginia knocked off Russell Rolfing 6 to 1. Rolfing also lost to Requier Van der from Stanford, so rough weekend out west. Yeah, I, I, I've known Boo since he wrestled in our event. I think. I thought the same thing you did, obviously, you know, it was a short time to think that, but if Boo looks really good and G's been wrestling great and G can make 41 and Kate's struggling, like what happens? Do they have a wrestle off? Do they make a switch? Do, you know, what do they stick with? How does that affect next year? Cause obviously these guys can all transfer and that sort of thing. So yeah, I mean the fine silver 10 0 match was shocking to me. Not that he won, but 10 0 was stark. So, yeah, I mean, I think you covered that one really well. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, Oliver's been wrestling well this season, so I did not see that coming. That That's not one you would have penciled in for bonus points ahead of time. For sure. I agree. Moving up to 157, uh, we talked about Pantaleo over Keyshawn Hayes, 3-2. to two. Uh, You know, that was kind of funny, and I, I hate to do it to you uh, after I picked Pantaleo, but... That, the first four matches of that duel, there were so many points on the board. Um, things were really flowing. They weren't exactly close matches, but there was always something going on. And then Pantaleo gets out there with Hayes, and it was like everything <laughs> just came to a screeching halt. <laughs> you know, well, like, if it makes you feel any better, I picked Pantaleo on the point spreads that I do every week with my buddy. So I think I hedged my bet. I knew I was going to yeah. <laughs> Of course, I was the one. I was wrong on the one that's on a national broadcast. <laughs> so. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it's one of those things. Like that's how two good guys often end up wrestling each other because you know it's hard to find those openings. But it just it was very stark after you know twelve to six, fourteen to one, eighteen to three, seventeen to four, and then three to two. So I'm sitting there watching it and just it it was very noticeable. Uh, but Pantaleo gets the win. The other notable result here, Eric Barone. As you mentioned, from Illinois, got a nice win over Caleb Young, 3-1 to one in sudden victory one. Um, and Young really just didn't show much offense there. Uh, ended up sitting out Sunday, so kind of wonder if there's something a little bit wrong with him. Maybe. Yeah, and this is a mess where a bunch of these guys have all beaten each other. You know, I, I, if, if I had to bet on who was going to make the finals, obviously I'd have to see the bracket. But if Hayden Heidley's on the other side, even though he hasn't, you know, he didn't start out the year well. I still feel like he might be the guy. But this is a weight class could, that could affect the team race. Uh, I mean, obviously, we feel like Penn State's going to win it, but Nebraska, Northwestern, NC State, Michigan, Ohio State, Iowa, Minnesota, all these teams are like top 10 teams, and those are the guys that we have 2-8 there. 
yeah, you mentioned highly, you know, if you're, if you're going to take part in that fantasy grade contest, he's one of those guys you need to watch because those, those losses that he took early in the year, especially you know, coming back from the under 23 world championships and all that, you never know how his training was going. Uh, but those will count for seeding purposes, but he looks better and better and more and more like last year. So I think I'm, I'm on board with that. Um, if he can get on the opposite side from Nolf. So keep an eye on that. Moving up to 165, Josh Shields beat Chance Marsteller in tiebreaker two, two to one. Uh, Lockhaven still beat Arizona State, so that's kind of surprising that their best wrestler lost and they still won the duel. Uh, good for the program, but rough for Marsteller. Yeah, it's he actually uh, texted Coach Pritz congratulations, and he said, he goes, it doesn't change anything. We just go from the five line to the four line because we've already lost to Joseph Marinelli and Wick. So he's probably right, right? Like it just depends on who, you know, theoretically, if you wrestled 12 or 13 in the second round, but, and then you're like, well, did I really want to win that match? If I got to beat that guy again, right? Like, you know, sometimes, you know, you win the battle, lose the war, it's certainly a good win. But what is interesting is would Shields be able to sneak up to three based on if Vincenzo wins the Big Tens, that means that Marinelli, Wick, Isaiah White all do not. So yeah, I don't know if that would push him over with the formula. You're, you're better at figuring that stuff out than I am. But I do know it would obviously have an impact on it. Yeah, what he really needs is to end up um, next to Isaiah White because he hasn't lost that head-to-head. -head. Uh, and assuming he wins the Pac-12, and he's a conference champion, he'd get a bump. But if you're getting a bump against a guy that's beating you head-to-head, -head, you lose that advantage. Uh, but if it's a guy that you haven't wrestled like Isaiah White, you might be able to win that matchup. Um, and if the other guys are bumped down below Isaiah White, maybe you have a chance there. Uh, kind of, it's all how it works out uh, because of how they do it, and the head-to-head -head matchups do make a difference. It does make a difference who you're next to in the initial run, which I think is off the coaches' rankings, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so keep an eye on that. If he's right around those guys that have beaten him, he'll probably bump down a spot or two. But if he's next to a guy that he's beat that hadn't wrestled, and he's a conference champion, and the guy that he's next to is not, he's got a shot. So. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, when you've got that concentration of power in the Big Ten, makes for some interesting seeding scenarios. Yeah, just let Isaiah White win the Big Tens, and then we'll see how the Nationals get seeded. <laughs> <laughs> that would be madness. Uh, moving up to 174, Zahid Valencia had a nice win over Jordan Cutler, 12-4. to uh, Cutler turned around and beat David McFadden, 4-2, to so he had a decent weekend after all. You know, I like to put these in here because sometimes we focus so much on the upsets, we forget to acknowledge how good guys like Zahid Valencia are. And, you know, I know he looked, I mean, losing to Mark Hall, pretty much that was all most people remember about his regular season so far. But he's still right there at the top of the weight, you know, him and Hall won too. So we'll see what happens going forward. Uh, Do you see anything else at 174? No, I think your point about Zahid's well said, though, right? That, He's, you know, he's that guy. And honestly, maybe, I mean, like we, we saw him in an interview with somebody else pointing out how, you know, he, he's, you know, it's like something like nine and one against Hall and probably wasn't the smartest thing to say. And now he's nine and two and he's not the one seed. And I think, again, you know, if, if he wasn't as focused as he needs to be now, now he is. So I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think I'm, I think anybody thinks that's not a coin flip match. You call me up. All right, well, we'll get some odds on that. That's going to be yeah. If you can get three, to, great match. If you can get three to two or two to one, I'll take. If I can get two to one, I'll take whichever guy you don't want for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Hundred percent. Yeah. So uh, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter. But uh, moving up to one eighty four, uh, I didn't look at what you did with the rankings this week, but uh, Taylor Vins pinned Emory Parker in five thirty three. So I don't really know. Uh, what that did, but obviously Parker was two, and I imagine he's not anymore. Yeah, and Zavatsky also uh, beat Price, and Price was five, and Zavatsky was eight. So Miles Martin stayed at one. Nick Renan went from four to two. Shakur Rashid stayed at three. Vens went from six to four. Parker dropped from two to five. 
Foster went from seven to six. Savatsky, eight to seven. Price, five to eight. And then, like, the next, like, nine through, let's see how far down, literally the rest, nothing else changed. It was the weirdest weight where all the change was at the top. So, yeah, I mean, but Parker didn't look very good against Iowa, right? Like, I'm getting all these dates mixed up because I think it was Friday night I was watching two duels. Was Friday night was Ohio State, Michigan, and Iowa, Illinois. Is that correct? That's correct. Back to back. Yeah. Yeah. I was watching those. And so uh, Parker didn't look very good against Wilkie, although Wilkie's really good at slowing everybody down. But, you know, that happened. So, yeah. I mean, I guess he was probably the biggest part of when I said Illinois just doesn't look like, you know, they're in a good spot right now. That match. And yeah, they just something's something's bad in the water right now. They got to kind of get it switched up. Yeah, and I mean, that weight more and more looks like Miles Martin and then a mad scramble for two through eight, right? Like, there's a lot of guys that could make that claim that they could get on the award stand, and then if you can argue that you're going to be an All-American at that weight, you can pretty much argue that you have a shot at the finals as long as you're opposite Miles Martin. Is that how you see it? I think so. Yeah, I think you want to be on the bottom half of the bracket, right? And so, like, when you talk about the power of conference, like, you know, Miles Martin, Shakur Rashid, Taylor Bent, Emory Parker are all Big Ten guys. Nick Renan and Zavatsky are ACC guys. And then Drew Foster's Big 12 and Price is the IWA. I think Binghamton's the IWA too and Louis Dupre's nine. And Jacoby Smith's also, you know, Big 12 with uh, Drew Foster. So... You know, I mean, I looked at the formula while you're talking and head to head's 25% of it, but conference placement is 10%. So it's, uh, and, and the thing is, like, Rashid hasn't really wrestled anybody, any of the hammers at this weight so far. He didn't, he didn't wrestle Vens. I mean, he just hasn't seen, I'm trying to think who Rashid's best win would be. I'm going to look at it real quick while we're talking, but, you know, he hasn't, doesn't have a big win like against a top six guy from what I can remember. Yeah. And I'm sure he'll have to get one if he's going to win a big 10 title. So that'll kind of take care of itself. I think down the stretch here, but I don't think we yeah, think he's going right to win now, a big 10 title though, brother. Like, I don't think he's- well, yeah, I, I forgot about Martin anyway, but you know, in that tournament, I'm sure he'll meet plenty of hammers, so it won't be an issue. Um, you know, he's got it all in front of him. So that'll be interesting to see. High, uh, but yeah, it's the highest ranked guy he's wrestled is Cordell Norfleet, Sam Colbray, Mason Reinhardt, and Hunter Bolin, who's not even who's really good but isn't starting. So he right. So that's so not, they haven't hit not going to be a quality win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't have hardly any. Yeah, his quality wins. Right, that's going to be hurting. So um, that'll be interesting just to keep that especially if he doesn't win the Big Tens, which, like you said, obviously none of us think what he's going to right now. Um, so that means he's going to have to uh, – yeah, that's going to hurt his seed. So keep an eye on that. It's going to be interesting where really he's seeded in the Big Ten too because, like, he didn't – you know, Nebraska wrestled Penn State, and he's the one that didn't wrestle. So do people seed Vens above him? And then if they seed Parker above him – now he's the four seed. Now he's really not making the finals, right? Unless he, I mean, if he beats Martin, now it's going to be in the semis, not the finals. So, yeah. I mean, there's and obviously, you know, if he's, if he's undefeated and end up, you know, upsetting Martin and winning the Big Ten title, he'll get the one seed at national. <laughs> yeah, right. But, you know, that's, so it, it's one of those things. It's again, just like the situation with Shields, it's, if he, you know, if he gets it, if we get what we're expecting to happen, it's going to be really interesting to see where he stacks up. But there's a scenario out there where he just rolls and it's no big deal and he wins all his matches and he's won. So it's all in front of him. But um, if he ends up, especially like you said, if you outlined that scenario where he gets third in the Big Ten, I, we may see him at a lower number than we expect. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's... You would look at him, you go, oh, he'll be the two seed at the Big Ten, right? Like, we've got him ranked third in the country, and, and he may not be. He may be the four seed. 
and then that's going to be tough because Nick Renan's probably, right. you know, Renan and, Z- and ZZ are going to probably wrestle in the finals of the ACC. I mean, th- this weight could shake out a lot of different ways, and you just want to be on the – you want to be two, three, six, or seven. It's another weight like that, like you described earlier. Right. Yep, I think so. Uh, good news for Rashid is he'll have a great winning percentage, which is also a part of the criteria. So uh, moving up to 197, wasn't a whole lot of action, but Cordell Eaton of North Dakota State had a nice win over Jacob Seeley of Northern Colorado 3-1. to one. Uh, Did you see anything else at 197? No, that was really it. It was a quiet week there, which we appreciate. We Oh, yeah, we appreciate that. Anytime, uh, anytime guys are willing to, to wrestle to the rankings, that is that is noted and appreciated. And then at heavyweight, um, I can't imagine there was a lot of movement. Uh, Gable Stevenson majored Trent Hilger of Wisconsin 11 to 2, which was, again, one of those that's like, yeah, he was supposed to win, but a little surprising that it was a major decision. Um, what did, did you see anything else at 285 before we move on? No, there really wasn't. There really wasn't much at all. So, I mean, yeah, it was super quiet. This is another wait where I'm just double-checking my notes here. Yeah, no changes at all. Literally none. Yeah, and there were some good matches. I mean, Jordan Wood and Billy Miller clashed. Wood won that one. It just it's the higher-rated guy always got the win this weekend. So, um, yeah, and I, I'll say Gannon Grimble looked – he battled against Derek White. He had – a hard time, as a lot of people do with White. Uh, he, he's so wide now, and he's he moves so well for a heavyweight. Uh, but Grimble stuck in there and battled him hard. So uh, I was impressed with that. Um, I know some people are kind of concerned about his development, but he's had a couple of nice wins this year, and I was impressed. He looks like he's going in the right direction. So good news for Cyclone fans. Oh, you're going to make me talk about MMA again, aren't no, you? No, I'm going to talk about MMA. You can just listen. <laughs> cool. So okay, well, what's that time of this? Show? So Ryan Bader beat Fedor Emelianenko at Bellator, yeah. which is he won the heavyweight Grand Prix. He also becomes the first guy in Bellator to be a two-time belt winner and simultaneous at two hundred five, which is light heavyweight and then heavyweight, which I think there's two sixty-five. And it was a kind of a weird fight where it's like twenty thirty seconds of just space, and then he hit him with a left and literally just put him down and hit him, came down, hit him with the right and was over. Aaron Pico's fight was crazy. He was, he was winning. He clipped Corrales, almost had him out. (sighs) Tried to finish. Didn't, didn't get the distance he needed to. And then uh, it turned out that Corrales just threw a bomb and, and knocked him cold. And I, I really curious you know, they brought Pico along really fast in Bellator. Uh, his first fight, he lost to a, a St. Louis guy that I'm good friends with, Zach Freeman. And then, he, you know, he murdered four guys, and now this happens. And I don't, I don't know. Like, I, you know, I, I'm sure he'll stick with MMA, but it, it almost it makes you wonder, well, what do you think about coming back to wrestling? And then, you know, how does he fit in that picture? We talked about, you know, how good Molinaro is, and, and he pushed Molinaro to the brink back in 2016. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, right? Like, I don't know a lot about MMA. You know, I obviously don't follow it as closely as you do, but it's less of a meritocracy than we're used to in wrestling. Way less. Way Perception less. Yeah. Perception matters. I mean, we've seen guys that, you know, got their UFC contracts, you know, bought out basically for not winning as exciting as, you know, they were hoping for, for being kind of boring, you know? So it's, yeah, I don't, I think that happens less in Bellator from what I can tell, but yeah, that's twice now that Pico's gotten knocked out and, you know, it's a small sample size. It's, you know, six, I think professional bouts. So it's hard to say, but like you said, you know, they've put a lot of eggs in his basket and now, some of that shine is wearing off a little bit. I'm not saying he can't be a champion in the future. Obviously, he was in good shape in this fight, and that's just what happens sometimes in mixed martial arts. You get you know, a punch or something comes out, hits you the wrong way, and 
all that good work that you've done up to that point is or not. Um, and I also saw some interesting takes. I read a couple of different articles on it that, you know, maybe he was going too hard for the finish and maybe he was, you know, maybe that's on his mind that I want to be exciting. I want to finish people instead of, you know, maybe playing it more safe, relying more on the wrestling. I don't know how fair that is. Um, but obviously he's had some high profile finishes in his early career that have gotten a lot of buzz around him. So maybe that plays in, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't think so with the Pico, but I mean, I guess there's a point to it, right? Like, I mean, I guess you can say that theoretically that's a deal, but I don't, I just, he's so good at wrestling and he's got a golden gloves background and everything else. And it's just interesting to see like what happened, why is this happening? And, you know, what will become of it? Because, you know, he stopped wrestling at a really early age and it's something, you know, that obviously he could come back to and, and, you know, it's not like he would start at the bottom of the ladder. You know, he'd be a dangerous guy right away, so it'd be interesting to see. Yeah, and that's you know, that's the great thing about wrestling is that at any time, if he decides he wants to come back, he'll get his chance to show that he, you know, is deserving of a spot. And if he beats the guys that are at that weight, he'll be the guy. Um, I love that about wrestling. And it's the same with NCAA wrestling, you know. If, if you're the guy for your team at the conference tournament, you could be zero and zero. And you could go win a national title. If you win the matches on the mat, you're going to win the title. So I love that. Um, international wrestling is the same way. And if Pico comes back, it's going to be great for our sport because he'll create some buzz from people that don't necessarily follow it. Right. Now, is he going to do that? I have no idea. But we'll see. Yeah. I, I the, You use the word meritocracy, and it's interesting because I use that word a lot when I try to describe the difference between wrestling and MMA. Like MMA, your goal like if, if right now you're a, a four as a fighter, it's okay. You just need to fight a two or a three. And then when you become a five, you try to fight a five or a four. Where wrestling, it's like, okay, if you're a four, we're going to go wrestle a bunch of tens. You're just going to figure out how to get better because we don't really care about your record. We care about you getting better. In MMA, it's getting better and staying undefeated as long as you can at the same time, which is a really odd process comparison to what how wrestling looks at it. Yeah, and you know that model was the way boxing was for a very long time. It was you know once you turned professional, you fought a bunch of guys that had no chance to beat you if you were a hot prospect, so that you could be that nineteen and zero up and comer when you finally got your shot against somebody big and you know on a national pay per view type of thing. Uh, so I, I I understand it from that perspective, um, and obviously we see MMA is a little different. You don't have to have that zero by your name because pretty much anybody that's fought for any length of time gets beat at some point. Uh, but one loss like that, you kind of shake it off. Two losses like that, you start to wonder. And right. three would definitely be cause for concern. So it's an interesting time, and I'm glad you pointed it out. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you know, I'm friends with Randy Couture, and he's got double-digit losses, and nobody ever questions whether that guy was one of the greats of all time. You know, so I think it's it's kind of hard to look at your legacy as it's happening. So, uh, but for sure, it's it's interesting. So, um, you know, there's a lot more fights coming up and stuff like that. So it'll be interesting to see. But there's two huge duels to talk about this weekend, right? Michigan, Penn State, and Iowa, Nebraska. Absolutely. The Michigan-Penn State duel, obviously, um, we saw that last year. It was by far Penn State's toughest duel. Um, and it's, it's funny because the RBY injury might not be a huge deal, um, because you'd have to have him as a dramatic underdog to Michich anyway. Um, but if they do have to throw out a backup, that may just mean more bonus points for Michigan and they're probably going to need them, right? The, Michigan's going to need all the points they can get. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you have to figure if if Michigan's going to win this match, they have to win it 25, 33. Uh, 41. They can hope to win it 41. Like, I don't two, really see it. Okay, you said two statements. What we think is going to happen, and you said to win the duel. Like, to win the duel, they have right. to win, for sure. That win that match, rather. So, yeah. So. 
Yeah, I mean, they can win at 49, obviously, um, but they're probably not going to be favored there. 57 is the same way. Like, I don't see them. That's one of those. It's like, at, on paper, a normal number one against Pantaleo, a former All-American, he's got an upset shot, but it's null. Now, I know they wrestled a close match last year, but I don't see it. So, it yeah, if they don't win 141, it's hard to see them getting to five. Yeah, here's what I just put on our document. You tell me if you disagree. Michigan's favored big at 25 and 33. Penn State's favored at 57, 65, although Massa has wrestled uh, Vincenzo tough, 84, 97. The, the, if you're optimistic as a Michigan fan, the toss-ups are 41, 49, 74, even though it means I don't think ever beat Hall, they've always been close, and 285. And here's the thing. Michigan's got to win all those because if they even if they won the other four, yeah. I think well maybe not because Michigan could get a, a a major at twenty five and a tech or a pin at thirty three, and you know Nolf may get a major against Pantaleo, but you know probably not a tech. Vincenzo probably gets a decision, but then at eighty four and ninety seven, you you kind of expect the equal bonus of of what Michigan would get at 25 and 33. So. Right. Yeah. yeah and it's, it's funny. You put 285 in the toss up category. I think you're right. Uh, but Paris is so prone to the big moves, both for and against that. I could see that ended up, you know, bonus points probably either way. Although I'd lean towards Kassar, maybe getting a major there. Um, just because I think Paris isn't going to sit back. I think he's going to go for it. Both of those guys can score points. Well, I think if you're setting point spreads, right? Like if you're, you know, it's not a pick a match, right? Like Nassar is a favorite over Paris, but it's probably like maybe two and a half, three and a half, something like that. And so with Paris's big movability and he's a bigger human being, then you go, well, he's got a chance, right? I mean, this could get ugly for me. And they yeah. could go two and eight, or they could go six and four and yeah. pull off the, you know, here's what's crazy. They could go six and four, and Penn State would still be ranked number one. <laughs> well, yeah, in the tournament rankings, nothing's going to change that. That's absolutely right. So I'm saying that's like, and you know, right. that's what's so weird about our sport. Like, we wrestle all these meets all year by one scoring system, and they go, okay, now we're going to change it all up. You know, like it's yeah. well, it's wrestling because it's its own. I'm sorry, but that's why wrestling its own worst enemy. Like, if you want to bring fans into it, it's very difficult to explain to somebody how Michigan beat Ohio State six out of ten matches, and Ohio State is favored at nationals. Right. Well, the funny thing because of the, how duels work and how matchup dependent they are, you know, Michigan beat Ohio State, and it wasn't a fluke. Like we, you know, we. We pretty much picked every match correct. We knew it would come down to 57, right. and Pantaleo beat Hayes. Right. Yeah, you could hope to flip that next time, but if Pantaleo won again, no one would be overly surprised. So if they ran it back today, you'd expect Michigan to win more often than not. But against Penn State, Ohio State will score more points almost every time in a duel just because of how they match up. It's just the way it works out. Right. Yeah, it's just weird, though. I mean, I guess it's you can kind of look at it like in football, like this team – or like basketball, like a team that plays zone and stuff like that. It's just, it's bizarre. I haven't broken down this Iowa-Nebraska duel as much. How many how many matches can Nebraska win here, realistically? I mean, they can win one. For well, I mean, it depends if Iowa's... Iowa hadn't had their full lineup in, the, in effect almost all year. So it'll be interesting to see who wrestles for them. Um, and that's, you know, especially in some key spots, 25 and heavyweight both. Nebraska has guys that can win against their backups. They don't have guys that are going to beat their starters. But against, so let's just say, let's say, I think that's let's say best lineup against best lineup. Iowa's favorite at twenty five. Iowa's favorite at thirty three. Nebraska's favorite at forty one. Right? Yeah, Chad Red's been wrestling better lately, so he's a favorite. Uh, but Murin could definitely win that. Sure, match. but again, like I think if we're saying like, okay, who like if you're kind of. Maybe you're trying to hope Michigan can make it interesting, or you're making Nebraska make it interesting. Nebraska could win 41. They'll be favored at 57. Um, 
you know, there'll be a toss up at 65. I mean, like if they won, it would be a surprise, but not like a huge surprise. And they'll be favored at 84. And they'll, you know, like you said, it really comes down to heavyweight, right? Like, I mean, if Jensen doesn't have to run stole, they got a chance, right? Yeah, because he's actually been pretty good this year. He was a Hodge candidate until 10 days ago. (laughs) Right. I mean, he beat Conan Jennings of Northwestern in a pretty good match. And, yeah, so he's got a chance if it's not Stoll. But if it's Stoll, Stoll looks actually pretty good against Northwestern. I was impressed with him. Um, Obviously, Jennings kind of plays into what Stoll is good at. Um, They both like to – they're both big boys, and they both like to go upper body, but Stoll's just better at it. Um, so it's, it's a bad matchup for Jennings. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it'd be interesting to see that was the best Stoll's looked all year. I think, um, I don't know. I, I think I was kind of rounding into form, which is weird to say when you just sat out two of their better guys, but it seems like their lineup's starting to kind of coalesce a little bit. They, they look like they're starting to round into form. And if Lee and Young can get back to full strength, they, they have a pretty stout lineup, especially in a duel. They just don't have a lot of holes. Yeah, they got a great duel meet team. And I was talking to a buddy of mine. Next year, they're going to, they're scary, right? Because, I mean, I don't even know who they lose. 25's back, 33's back, 41's back, 29's back, 57's back, 65's back. They get. Moisey can. What? Moisey can't possibly be back. Zeke no, no, I was talking about Iowa. I'm sorry. He's 85. No, no, I was talking about Iowa. Oh, okay. And as somebody who's as somebody, yeah, I'm with you now. As somebody who's close to 85 years old, I resemble that remark. So, um, <laughs> no, but and then you know they get Kemmerer back at, at 74. I mean, they lose Stoll, who's really good, but Cassiope's really good for a you know for a redshirt freshman. I mean, I think they're a team that right. that they're the one team that you go if Penn State's going to lose, they're probably the team that has the lineup to do it next year. Yeah, it's it's really interesting because Ohio State has some interesting guys coming in, and Oklahoma State now with you know, possibly Weigel and maybe now Boo Wallen, although it's hard to really count on him for anything. Uh, those guys are six-year candidates, so they might be back, and that makes it interesting. There's just a lot of a lot of talent coming back, especially if Penn State is a little bit mortal next year and isn't the massive favorite. It could be really interesting. Um, but we've said that before about teams and then seen them run off. And <laughs> so we'll see. But uh, yeah, for sure. It happened. Well, you know, I, and I remember, I remember a time before Penn state. I know a lot of fans don't remember that far back, but uh, we've seen this before with Minnesota teams, with Iowa teams, with Oklahoma state teams, where you start the year and people are going, man, this team race is going to be close. And then by the time you get to the end of the year, it's a 30, 40 point gap. Like it happened. And the opposite happens too, um, where the second and third place team make up the ground during the year and get, you know, by the time nationals comes around, it's really close. But it, the team race is in is just hard to predict, especially this far out, because there's so much that can happen with injuries. You know, we talked about weights like 33 and 84, where there's just all kinds of movement behind number one, and that stuff affects the team race so much. Um, Penn State has been able to put guys at number one that we don't see losing, and that has really stabilized the team race discussion. But that's not normal um, throughout the history of right. our sport. So it'll be interesting to see if they come back and that we get that more um, going forward or not. You're right that next year there's at least the potential for that. Uh, we'll see what happens. But I mean, I'm focused on this year. I, I love to look at that stuff, so I'm not down on you for just no, no. But this year is going to be really exciting, no. even if the team race doesn't really materialize, which it shouldn't if the Nittany Lions wrestle as well as they can. Well, I looked last night at the top 15 teams um, and where they were versus where they were week one. And what's really interesting to me is almost every team can be explained by one guy's movement. So, like Penn State's up. Four or five points, that's Kassar. Ohio State's actually dead on the same number. DeSanto's up, or I mean, Iowa's up six and a half points. That's DeSanto. Oklahoma State's down four points. That's Boo. The difference between where Boo started the year and where G is now. 
Michigan is up 18 points. That's the one team that's a bunch of guys. It's Harris coming out of red shirt, Misa going from two to one, and Store going from, you know, not top eight to top eight. NC State's three and a half points difference. That's just a couple guys sliding up. Nebraska's down 10. That's Moise going starting where he was versus now. This is, if you get it, this is easy. Minnesota's up 21 points. I wonder how that happened. Maybe Gable Stevenson wasn't ranked it now as 20 points, right? Arizona State's two and a half different. Uh, Northwestern's up 10, but that's really Rivera going up to one and Deacon going up to three. Princeton is up 12, and that's really Brucky. You know, Mizzou is down 11, and that's really the Leaf coming out. Rutgers is basically the same. VTech is down based on Zavatsky. And Cornell is down based on Darmstadt. So in most cases, it's one guy. So, you know, I mean, it's pretty yeah, interesting. And if you, if you, right. And if you look at that after Nationals, it'll probably be the same. You'll look at it and you'll go, okay, they scored this. Well, it's almost always one or two guys either overperformed or underperformed, and everybody else was around seed. Um, rarely do you see the teams that, massively overperform or massively underperform. Most of the teams will be right around where they should be. So, And I can't wait for it. Um, I got my tickets to Pittsburgh. I'm ready to go. Um, but first, we'll finish this regular season and enjoy the matches as they come. Um, you got anything else for the people before we get out of here? Colo versus Ashnault this weekend, right? Hopefully that happens. Yep. And that we've seen it. We've seen it before, and it was a good match last time. Um, and it's probably for the number one seed. Yes. So, very interesting. Chris Harrison, anyone, anytime, anywhere. So um, I, I think they'll be ready. Yep. And that's you. Yeah. Go look at Princeton's schedule. He means. No, no, I had to be on and you made a big point of that for sure. Yeah. That's absolutely. They believe in that. So if, if you're frustrated with not seeing some of the matches, become a Princeton fan. They're. <laughs> They will wrestle anybody, anytime, anywhere. So shout out to them. All right. Well, we will be back to break down that and everything else that happens this weekend in college wrestling, international wrestling, high school wrestling. Heck, if there's peewee wrestling that's interesting, we'll probably talk about that too. For David Maricatani, this is Alex Dean signing off. I love it.